0: This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. We're so glad you're here today. This is the first week of our annual fall campaign. This week we're going to be talking, this this, um, campaign we're going to be talking about how God changes us. Transformation. Seven weeks where we're going to be talking about living a transformed life and how God can transform your life in some very critical areas of life. And I know that you care deeply about that. Uh, We're going to be talking about God transforming us over the next seven weeks spiritually, how he transforms us physically, how he transforms us mentally. When we do the physical one, I'm trusting that God will make me 29 again. (laughs) Anybody else up for that? Yeah, you're going to go for the 29? All right mentally i'd like to be 29 again as well i guess <laughs> emotionally relationally and financially and who doesn't want to be changed who doesn't want to be transformed in those areas of your life and probably even some others that we won't have time to get into i think if we were if we were to take time to pull this group of people today and ask you if if you could if you could do it would you If there was a chance that this could happen, would you be up for for going back in your life and changing some part of your past? Everybody would would want that. And the reason that we all want to be changed is because we've all made mistakes. We've we've all blown it in areas of life. And and so we would love to have the opportunity to go back and change those things. But here's what I want you to say. And, And this, of course, you understand, you know this you can't go back. You can't change anything you've said. You can't change anything you've done. You can't go back. But here's the beautiful truth of God's word. The future can be transformed by the power of God in your life. Because what I want you to understand is not only can God, can he transform you, but God wants to transform your life. As you open yourself up in these seven critical areas, I believe it will transform who you are. You'll become a different person. One of the greatest promises of God's word is found in Romans twelve two. And this is what the Apostle Paul wrote. Now he says, first of all, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. But, so we're going to transition, let God transform you into a new person. Hallelujah. By changing the way you think, and then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So in that one verse of Scripture, Paul teaches us, how transformation works or how it happens in our lives. First of all, and this is critical, you've got to know that transformation is possible. You know, sometimes we look at our lives and say, oh, I'm beyond hope. That's not true. Transformation is possible. And that's the reason why he says there in verse 2, let God transform you into a new person. If transformation were impossible, God would never have said to you that it can happen. The fact that he promises it to our lives in this verse indicates that this is a possibility. So latch on to that. I can be changed. Now, I'm not talking about getting a new... Uh, New Year's resolution going in your life. That won't change you. That never works. But I am talking about the power of the Holy Spirit coming into your life and beginning to transform you. So first of all, I want you to know that God can transform you. Now the second step is that transformation happens when you change the way you think. You are what you think. Right now, you are the person that you think you are. Transformation is a transitioning of your thought process. Not just you sitting down saying, I'm gonna think better thoughts, but by the power of God's Spirit redirecting the way you think, how you think, the way, the way you perceive your life. What you pre- that's the reason we do this confession. It's so important that when we come into this place, we say, Lord, I believe. You've got to say, God, I believe. Now, if you're just coming in for a religious service, it's going to do nothing for you. But if you come in for an encounter with God where you say, God, I believe, I'm believing for something, this is more than just a, a, a religious one hour thing I do on a Sunday morning. This is just the kickoff to a whole week of victory because you are going to be transforming the way I think about life. And all of us need to be transformed in our thinking because. Daily, we're bombarded with all this garbage from the world. Evil stuff, negative stuff, uh, anti-God stuff. All of that is out there, and it constantly is being pushed on us. And because of it, it corrupts the way we think. So one of the most important things that can happen to you is to be transformed by renewing your thinking. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10... We have to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Okay, so that's in the mind. Take captive every thought that's in the mind. Make that thought obedient to Christ. So what he is saying here is what what we have to do. This is part of our spiritual warfare and our battles. We must demolish thoughts that come at us that oppose God's way of thinking. Whatever is, is being pushed on you through educators, through television, through friends, whatever. Whatever's being pushed on you that's anti-God or anti-God's thinking has to be demolished. Not just resisted, but absolutely demolished. Because these things will keep you from knowing God. Those, Those evil things will keep you from knowing the will of God. They will keep you away from the favor of God. So Paul says here that we take them captive and we transform those kind of thoughts into ones that are obedient to Christ. Now, so all of this starts in the mind. So first of all you have to believe, that's in your heart, then you have to move into transitioning your mind and allow that to transform you into a new person. So what I'm telling you here is this takes discipline. This takes effort. It goes beyond how you feel. How you feel about something is not the issue. Now, how you feel about something uh, may motivate you to bring a change into your life. Feelings may motivate you that you need to change, but real change will not happen by feelings. Real change only happens as you begin to transition your thinking, and that's why he says here in Romans 12 to, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So here it is. Transformation happens when you fix your thinking. Fix your thinking and you'll fix your feelings. All right? Fix your thinking and you'll fix your feelings. Thirdly, transformation happens when then you start doing what's right instead of doing what's wrong. Romans 12, 2 calls it God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So God has a will for your life, it's good, may scare you half to death, but it's good for you, it's perfect for you, and it actually pleases you as an individual. You will never find pleasure on your inner self apart from living the will of God for your life. That's the only way for you to be happy with your life. I'm just telling you, I've lived 39 years now, and I know in all of these years, this is one thing I have learned. Is that why are they laughing at me, Eric? Uh, one thing I've learned in these okay, 40 years, is is that if you are going to be happy in life, you must live your life to glorify Christ, and allow His will to be performed in your life. If you do that, you will be happy. You will be fulfilled. You'll be full of joy. doesn't mean you won't have times where you'll have struggles. I'm just saying, you follow God's will for your life. It'll set the pattern of of, uh, stability, strength, and growth in you personally. But if you follow what the world or even what your flesh says that you should do, that'll lead to destruction every time. So um, God says, do God's will which is good, pleasing, and perfect. And, and here's the deal. So now we're going to add to the sentence we, we said just in the last point. When your thinking gets right, your feelings get right. Now I'm going to take it the next step. When your feelings get right, your actions will get right. Okay? So you heal your thinking, it heals your feelings. You heal your feelings, it heals your actions, and you become a fulfilled person. It's amazing how that works. So transformation then starts with your thinking. Now, another way of you know thinking about uh, or talking about thinking or thoughts is to use a biblical word, which would be the word soul, your soul. Another way to describe thinking would be to use the word soul. Your, your thinking, your soul is a part of your mind. It's a part of your thinking. So to change your life, what I'm saying to you is you've got to change your soul. Now the Bible tells us that each of us is made up of three parts. Did you know that? You'll find it in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Apostle Paul talks about us being spirit, soul, and body. So we're, we're all three parts. So think about that. You are one part body or physical. You are two parts spiritual, soul and spirit. The problem with most people is they give all their attention to the physical to the neglect of the spiritual side of them, but you're two-thirds spiritual. You know, when I was a kid in school, the one thing they told us all the time was, you, you gotta drink enough water. Did you ever hear that in school or by your, from your mother or whatever? They're right. Now, I don't know off the top of my head exactly how much of our physical bodies is water, but it's, it's something like 80%. Now, I know some of you are Googling that right now to find out if I'm correct. And and that may not be correct, but it's it's a vast majority. We think of us as solid and hard and everything. Man, that's hard. Whoa, whoa, gee. It's hard. You know, Anyway, we think of ourselves as hard and solid and everything, but we're really mushy. We're just all full of liquid in there and juices and everything and you got to put enough in there or the physical hardness will go bye-bye and you will end up well dying actually and and so and we we look at our lives spiritually and we think that we can neglect this one very vital area of our lives which is the spiritual side and that will be all right that's not true we think that life will work out fine even though we don't give our spiritual the two-thirds of us that's most important we don't give it much thought we, we focus so much on the physical, and then we wonder why things aren't working out. The physical part of each of us is what we see in the mirror every day, and so it gets most of our attention. And that, that's natural. What I'm saying is we, we want to live supernatural, not natural. And so um, we, we look in the mirror, and it gets our attention. So when this physical part of us is hungry, it demands to be fed and we clothe it, and we feed it, and we pamper it, and we do all that stuff. But the physical you is not all of you. The Bible says you are also soul. I think of the soul as kind of the first layer of my spiritual life, my spiritual self. And, and just quickly, if the soul is filled with darkness, it leads to death. But if your soul is filled with light, it leads to strength and life and power in God. But this is what I've learned in my 40 years. Your soul is an indiscriminate eater. And that is to say it's not a fussy eater. It'll eat, it'll take in whatever you feed it. You feed it garbage, it'll take it right on in. You feed it evil, it'll take it right on in but you will become what you feed your soul. So if you feed your soul the the evil of the world or the world's values, it's gonna take you on a nosedive. Now, it might be a gradual nosedive, and that's why it's kind of like the frog in the hot water, you know, it, you know, it, on, on the stove, you know what I'm talking about? They put it, the frog in the cold water and it sits on the stove and they turn on the furnace or on the stove and, and it starts heating up and it doesn't even know because it can't tell until it's too late and then it's boiled, you know? And and that's what happens to us because some of this stuff happens so gradually we think that it's not happening, but it is happening. And And so... If you feed the soul the, the values of the world, it will, it will begin to gradually take you on a nosedive away from God into hopelessness. But if you feed it the word of God, if you feed it the spirit of God, it will begin to change the DNA of how you think. And then you'll begin to perceive things from God's point of view instead of from the world's point of view, and you'll start being strong in areas you were weak before, and you'll start uh, having freedom in areas where there was bondage before, and, and it'll be a powerful thing in your life because you have, you, have, uh, you have fed your soul the power of God. Now, the last area of, of the trilogy of who you are is your spirit and this is the deep part of your spiritual being that comes to life when you accept Jesus into your life as savior it is it is oftentimes referred in the bible to in the bible as your heart you know let god have your heart we say that well we're not really talking about this because he wants all of you so that doesn't make any sense it's talking about your spiritual heart it's the deepest part of the spiritual you ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 says Even when we were dead by our our shortcomings and trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship and union with Christ. So that is talking right there about spiritual transformation that happens to us when we make Jesus the Savior and Lord of our lives. And we, according to this, we are made alive. He makes us alive. So we were dead before. Now he makes us alive alive by the power of Christ. And that's what it means to be spiritually transformed. Or if I could put it maybe even a different way, that's how God changes you spiritually. That's how you are drawn closer to God's heart by the things I just talked about. Now, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives a story about a young man. Uh, We oftentimes refer to him as the prodigal son, so some of you will know the story. And he's a young man, Uh, uh, the son of a rich man, a wonderful father, but he loses his relationship and his closeness with his father. And the story tells us how he eventually found his way back again. And for us today, this story serves as a a roadmap, so to speak, about how we find our way back to God, our father. So we're going to read the story and then see what it says to us. Luke chapter 15. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money and wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into a fields to feed the pigs. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the fatted calf. For we must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead, and he has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So let's partay. So the father had these two sons, and one of them, the younger one, he didn't want to wait for dad to die to get the money. So he goes to dad, and he says, hey, give me my share of the estate, and his father agreed to it. In the course of time, the inheritance money ran out, and um, in desperation, of course, you know, once you run out of money in the world system, you run out of friends, too. You only have friends as long as you can, they can take something from you. So he makes his way back home in this story. He's willing to become a hired hand, whatever it took, just to be welcomed back into the family again, and and I, I, I can only imagine what he thought the reaction of his dad would be, but his, his, his father, his, his reaction was so unexpected, the father ran out to meet him. It says he saw him a long way off, that means he was looking for him, and he ran out to meet him, and he put a robe on his shoulder, shoulders and embraced him warmly and put a ring on his finger. In other words, he wasn't made a hired hand, he was welcomed right back into the family again. And in this story, it teaches us four things that we need to do that we see in the life of this uh, prodigal son that, that bring us back to God and bring us to a transformed life. And I want to share those four things with you quickly. First of all, you've got to get fed up with your life. If you want to be transformed, you've got to get fed up with your life. The Bible tells us that this son took everything he could get from his dad And then he lost it all, he wasted it all, he got desperate and he got hungry. And then in verse 17 it says, he finally came to his senses. And just reading between the lines there, he got fed up with his life. That's what it's saying, he got fed up with his life. I was talking with one of our men the other day, he was going through a really difficult time physically, and he said to me, I'm just so tired of being sick and I really understood what he was saying. I'm just so tired. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. (laughs) He was sick and tired of what was happening in his life. Now, obviously this boy's situation is different from the man in our church because this boy brought his own trouble, his self-inflicted wound. He did it to himself. He, He brought this on himself. But the sentiment of frustration is the same for both of the individuals I'm talking about. It's that attitude something's got to change. This isn't going to work anymore. This isn't turning out the way I figured it would. Something's got to change. As long as you are okay with where you're at, where your life is at, you will never transform. You can come to church all you want, but you'll never really transform. If the caterpillar is content with crawling, it will never fly. In the case of this son, what drove his discontent is the fact that he was flat broke and near death and had no friends. That motivated him to take a hard look at his life and to bring change to his life to allow transformation to happen happen to get back to the father i am telling you this morning that something has to move you something has to stir your soul and your heart it may be health problems that you'll face it may be a financial collapse it may be a failing marriage or the mess your life is in or 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 whatever it might be, but something is going to drive your inner need to change. And you'll say, something's got to happen in my life. Something's got to change. And here's the thing. The longer you are content with where you are at in life, the harder it will be to transform. Because you're going to have to move through so much more stuff. That's why it's critical that you take care of this as quickly as you can. Today. That's why the scripture says now is the day of salvation. Today is the accepted time. Because if you, if you wait, if you hold off, you've got to clean up so much more stuff. But what I also want to tell you is no matter where you're at in your life, if you're finally at your wit's end, if like the sun, you've come to your senses The Father, the Father in heaven is so ready to welcome you back no matter how far you have fallen from him. He'll take you back. (laughs) Jeremiah 29, 13 says, When you come looking for me, you will find me. This is the Lord speaking. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else. In other words, you've got to get fed up with where your life is at or you'll never transform. Number two. You've got to own up to your sins. One of the biggest problems people have today is they blame everybody else. They're the eternal victim. It's my parents' fault I am what I am. It's the way I was brought up. It's my teachers at school, they made me this way. It's my boss, it's God's fault. It's the church's fault. It's somebody else's fault. On and on we can go. And I know, and I'm not trying to make light of the fact that many of you have been hurt, you've been mistreated, you've been wounded, and you bear the scars of those wounds. But if you are not careful, your past hurt will turn you into a victim that controls you and keeps you a slave to bitterness and you'll never come out of it. Blaming other people is not the road to your success. This son started out a typical self-centered boy who wanted everything given to him with no responsibility, no accountability. But you know, the truth is the money wasn't him. He had no claim to the money. It was dad's money his only right to the money was the fact that he had a relationship with his father and if that relationship was such that the father decided to give it to him but to demand his share of money shows a a total disregard for the sacrifice and for the effort made by others that brought those tremendous blessings and success to that family you see as long as the son thought that he had the right to the inheritance. He was a selfish, conceited brat. But in that pig pen, and if need be, God has a pig pen for you. If you need to be taken there. In that pig pen, something happened to this boy. He realized he didn't own that money. In fact, he realized what he owned was a rotten... Bitter attitude. And in the midst of that filth, of that pig pen, his heart started to change. His heart started to clean up. Instead of getting filthy like the pig pen, he started being changed from the inside out. And he ran home and he said to his father in verses 18 19, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please just take me on as a hired hand, a servant. The point is, you will never change until you're willing to own your sin and admit it. And that's what the son did, I have sinned. Notice he didn't say, you know, I made a mistake. I made an error in judgment. Bad friends talked me into this. No, he said, it's my responsibility. I sinned. Getting fed up with your situation is not enough to transform. You have to take the next step, which is to own up to your sin, which caused the mess in the first place. Number three, quit demanding. Quit demanding. The young son simply said, verse 19, I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Years ago, a a former associate pastor on my staff got involved with another woman, with a woman other than his wife on the internet And he left his wife and he left his kids. He was not on my staff at the time he did this, but we were closely fellowshiped together. And he left his wife and he left his kids. And he left for another state, moved 2,000 miles away. It just absolutely shocked us. He ended up being arrested. I'm not going to go into that make the story too long. But he he was arrested and he was put into jail for a four-year sentence. While in jail, his wife served him divorce papers, and um, he wrote me a letter. And in the letter, he said, Pastor, would you would you please contact my wife on my behalf and ask her not to go through with this, this divorce. After all, the Bible says God hates divorce. And if you don't know it, the Bible does say that. God hates divorce. And then he started quoting the scriptures in the letter about how if... if if somebody asks you to forgive, you have to forgive them uh, as Christian and all, all of this stuff, you know. And I knew where he was going with it. And he was, what he was saying was, I, have, I failed, but I have asked God to forgive me, so now everybody has to just act like it never happened. That's what he's saying. And so I wrote him back, but I didn't give him the, the response he was expecting. I told him that if he was truly sorry, he needed to quit demanding Quit demanding that your wife take you back, that they act like this never happened. Simply humble yourself before them and admit the pain you brought to her, the pain you've brought to your kids, the, the pain you brought to the church you were pastoring at the time. Admit it and then put yourself in the hands of God and let God work the situation out. Because, you see, what I was reading between the lines was not a repentant heart. I was reading a prideful heart. He was demanding. Yeah, he was demanding. Now, he followed my advice, and and I wish I could tell you that because he followed my advice, everything turned out well, and they lived happily ever after. That did not happen. She went ahead and divorced him. But even though his marriage failed god started working on the pride that had had snuck in his heart even though he had sinned god started working on him started changing him and when he got out of jail four years later he was a changed man and i'm so happy to tell you today that even though his marriage failed his life did not fail because god brought him back and restored him and today he's an associate pastor in a church in Houston, Texas area and doing wonderfully. And Carrie and I are so proud of him. You know, I hear it from people all of the time. They fail God and they fail the people who, who love them. And then they make things right with God and they act like everybody else should... Um, Trust them implicitly from that point on. I hear this all the time. Well, don't judge me. I ask God to forgive me, and, and that's true. You know, when, when you fail and you ask God to forgive you, God completely washes that sin away. And God, b- because God knows your heart. He's able to look into the depths of your heart and, and, and talk with you and deal with you about, about that. And so it's, it's a complete, it's a total uh, a total acceptance and trust on the part of the Father, the Heavenly Father for you. But with people, it takes a lifetime to build trust. But it takes a second to lose it. It's so fragile. And we get this idea that we, when we fail and because we've asked God to forgive us that everybody else should trust us immediately. You know, loving someone and forgiving someone does not mean you trust them immediately. There, there needs to be some proving ground that goes with that. And when people get a demanding heart and a demanding spirit about them and say, you've got to, to act like, uh, like this never happened in the first place, that tells me more about their heart than they want to reveal. It tells me that there's a problem within their spirit and within their heart. A changed heart doesn't demand It lets God restore as he sees fit, and a a transformed heart patiently waits for God to work the process out. And that sets the tone for the greatest spiritual transformation imaginable. Listen to James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord. What will happen? He will lift you up. When you humble yourself, He will lift you up. I love how the message Bible puts it. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get up on your feet. So the only way up is to go down. Number four, accept God's love and forgiveness. The son didn't reject the father's embrace. In fact, he even let the father throw him a party. So in verses 23 and 24, the father says, kill the calf that we've been fattening. We've got to celebrate with a feast and the son who is dead is alive, is lost, is now found. Let's, let's have a party. It's time for rejoicing. One of the ways that the devil will lie to you is to tell you that humility means not accepting God's acceptance, is not receiving God's acceptance in your life. Like, I'm too bad for God to ever want to love me. I'm too bad for just, God, if, if you can just, if I can just be on the outskirts of heaven, you know, I don't expect to get in there very far, just through the pearlys, If I can just make it through the purlies, That's, And so the devil keeps you locked in your past and locked in defeat when all along what the Lord wants to do is teach you about his amazing love to restore, to transform, to accept And to love. True spiritual humility is being willing to let God love you and bring you back into the family. You accept it, you don't demand it, but you accept it with gratitude, you accept it with thanksgiving, but you accept it. And you let Him bring you back. Which leads then to another sermon I don't have time to preach, but then you've learned to forgive yourself. You accept God's forgiveness, and then you forgive you. You forgive yourself. So how do we get back to the Father? The prodigal son tells us how. You get fed up with the condition of your life. You own up to your sin. You humble yourself before God. And you accept his love and forgiveness. Would you stand with me as we close? Hallelujah. I've had to come back to the Father a few times, too. I've gotten screwy a few times. My wife could tell you all about it if you care to go and ask her. <laughs> what I'm here to tell you is that this, it's, the process is the same for all of us. There's no... Um, like different process for you than there is a process for me. It's the same for all of us. But if you're fed up with where you're at and you're willing to take the next step and own up to your sin and in humility before God, quit demanding, but let God begin to fashion and form your life into the new you that you will become and then accept that love and forgiveness. The Lord is going to do amazing things in your life would you bow your head with me this morning. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.